One more game remaining in Euro 2020, and my goodness, has it been a ridiculously entertaining tournament. Welcome back to Total Football Club, where we speak one universal language. My name is Alex Perez, and I am by myself today. Chris couldn't make it for this Euro 2020 final preview. He had to take care of some family business. I wish you all the best, Chris. I will see you next week week but we have so much to talk about of course we have the euro 2020 final to talk about italy england the matchup the players all of the good stuff we're also going to talk about the semi-finalist we're going to talk about spain how do we feel about spain now that this tournament is over because i know and i don't want to spoil it too much i know that i felt a certain way about spain at the beginning and I feel very differently about them now. But let's start it off with Denmark. And this little segment, I'm just I'm just really going to call it, even though there's no official names for the segments, I'm going to call this a tribute to Denmark. Because we we all saw what happened. We all we all know exactly what happened with with the Danish players and, and what happened with Christian Eriksen. And and we know we know that this was quite frankly, a worst-case scenario for the Danish. But let's be honest, very few teams would have handled adversity the way that this Danish side did. And it all starts with the leadership. You take a look at the leadership that this team has, and it all starts to make sense. Simon Kier, the captain, Kasper Schmeichel, uh, he is as level-headed as can be in these types of situations. I personally didn't know this, but apparently Casper Schmeichel was in between all the ruins after that helicopter crash that, that killed the owner of Leicester City three years ago. He was helping. This man was helping. He was trying to rescue people. He's made for adversity. That's basically what I'm trying to say. He is made for adversity. And what about the gaffer? What about the manager, Casper Hulman? My goodness. Again, we talk about level-headedness and we talk about the leadership Casper Hulman is everything he is everything that you want in a leader and apparently something else that I didn't know he dealt with something similar earlier in his career similar to what what happened to Christian Eriksen so now he has to go through something similar again and he deals with it almost flawlessly as good as you can deal with something as serious and as traumatic as this he dealt with it ridiculously well and of course it was going to translate to the players. Because if the guy up top, if the manager is, is a good leader, he's going to lead by example. And he led by example. And what an example he gave. He galvanized this team. The leaders in Denmark galvanized this team. Again, I mentioned Simon Kier. I mentioned Kasper Schmeichel. Without those galvanizing leaders, I do think that this team would have fallen apart like that. And it did feel for a second that maybe they were going to fall apart. But that game against Russia was, was almost a, a notice for the rest of the world. Like, hey, 
we're okay. We have a bigger reason that we're doing this for. And obviously, that bigger reason was Christian Eriksson. But let's be honest. This road that the Danish had to go through to get all the way to the semifinal this past Wednesday was probably one of the toughest roads that any team has ever faced in any tournament. It seemed so unlikely for them to be playing that game at Wembley on Wednesday, yet they were there and they competed. Again, it all started with Christian Eriksen's incident. We all know what happened with Christian Eriksen. And then a couple hours later, they had to come back and they had to play. And they lost that game, which can you blame them? No, you can't blame them because they saw their teammate pretty much die right in front of them. No one's going to have the head to play a game. Okay, no one's going to have the head to play a game two hours after the fact. And then the next game they lose to Belgium when they were up one nothing at the half. We all know what happened. Kevin De Bruyne, masterclass. And then, of course, they had to score a certain amount of goals against Russia. They did it, and they advanced to second place. And I know a lot of people are talking about, well, if you lose two games in the group stage, you shouldn't have a chance to, to advance, and that kind of rhymed. Well, Denmark advanced as a second place in the group. They advanced as they advanced as a number two. So even if if this format was still only the top two per group qualify, they would have qualified regardless. So that argument is a little bit invalid. And then we keep going forward. They have to go to Baku, all the way to Baku. I've only heard bad things about traveling. Tobacco or the logistics, nothing wrong with a Serbian or Baku. I, I, I don't know enough to have a judgment, never been there, of course. But the logistics of traveling to Baku and then having to go back to London or wherever they had to go back to, any, any team I'm talking about now, it wasn't very, very smart from, from UEFA to pick Baku as one of the cities, but they had to go there and they had to play in Baku. And it was very, very hot that Saturday when they played the quarterfinal. And then we look at what they did on Wednesday. You don't even have to look at the result. Or you you really don't even have to look at the last 30, 40 minutes of the game. Because Denmark was very tired and they were very sloppy. And, and, and it felt like they were just simply running out of battery towards the end. Which is okay. It's fine. But you look at, at what they did. They scored the first goal against England in the entire tournament. England conceded for the first time in the entire tournament in the semifinal against Denmark. And a beautiful free kick. Oh, by the way, Mikael Damsgaard scored the first free kick goal of Euro 2020. The youngest player to score a free kick in the European Championships. Of course, it had to be a Danish player. And they really had the English scared. They had them running. They had them trembling. It wasn't easy for England. It took extra time. But even, even to, to, to get back into the game for England, it was difficult because Denmark was pressing well. And they were doing what they had to do. And then, of course, eventually talent takes over and fresh legs take over. England hasn't played an extra time up until... Well, they haven't played one yet. And Denmark played... Uh, well, they hadn't played an extra time either, but they did have to travel to Baku, which somewhat feels like an extra time. Regardless, I'm not making any excuses for Denmark. Oh, excuse me. I'm not making any excuses 
for Denmark, but that's how it went for them. It was it was some true adversity that, that they had to face. It wasn't like, oh, we were down every game and, and we had to we had to make a comeback and this and that. Yeah, of course, that's adversity, but the adversity, we know what they had to go through and they still overcame it. What surprised me the most about this Danish team isn't necessarily that they got all the way to where they got. What surprised me was how fun they were to watch. And I don't know if it was because they actually have a fun style or because we were just so attracted to the story. We were glued to our televisions every single time that Denmark was playing because we knew something special was going to happen. I got that feeling from a couple of teams in this Euro. Italy and Spain. And then if you add Denmark, then that's not a couple of teams anymore. But it was those three teams that made me feel like something special was on its way. And you look at, or at least you compare the three squads and you see, well, Denmark isn't as talented as Italy, as Spain. Yet they were still producing incredibly exciting moments and they were looking for the results. They they were they were pursuing the result. They weren't just sitting back and trying to hit you on the break. They were pursuing these these goals. They were pursuing the result. And they got it. They 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 absolutely got it. And and you see the free-flowing football in attack. Then of course you see those reliable midfielders, Thomas Delaney, Pierre-Emil Hoybier. Um, and then in, in defense, they have three towers. I mean, what can you really say? The average height in that defense is like 6'4 or something like that. That That's ridiculous. You have a massive advantage, no pun intended. You have a massive advantage there when your defenders tower over the opposing attackers. And of course, when you have one of the greatest goalkeepers in the world protecting your net, of course you're going to feel safe. Of course. It's meant to happen. It's going to happen. And Kasper Schmeichel really did have a very, very good tournament. And it, it sucks that what we're probably going to remember the most about Kasper Schmeichel, of course, while he was playing, not necessarily not necessarily what he did with Christian Eriksen's uh, partner, what we're, what we're going to remember, or the last memory that we're going to have of, of Kasper Schmeichel in this tournament is saving the penalty, but giving up the rebound to Harry Kane to slot that one home. I know it sucks, but that doesn't take away from the fact that Kasper Schmeichel had a ridiculously good Euro. I do want to ask a question, and I don't mean to ask this question in a derogatory, negative, or insensitive way. I I mean this in the most polite way possible. Would Denmark have gotten this far if Christian Eriksen was perfectly healthy? Me personally, I don't think so. I don't think this team would have thrived as much as they did with Christian Eriksen. I'm not saying that it's a good thing that this happened to Christian Eriksen. Of course not. It's it's not a good thing. If anything, we're, we're, we were all heartbroken and we... At, at least for me, I still kind of go back at, and and, and kind of think about about what happened and where I was and what I was doing. I I can never put myself through through seeing those scenes again. I've I've seen it pop up on on my YouTube recommendations, and I'm like, no, 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 don't recommend this to me. Um, before I haven't seen it lately. I'm sure those videos have been taken down. 
But regardless, I, I don't think that this Danish side would have been as good. They wouldn't have thrived as much as they did for really a couple of, or more than a couple of reasons. The first one, maybe they wouldn't have had such a big reason to play for someone. Of course, or, or uh, I mean, we, we really don't know what happens in, in these players' lives, but it it wouldn't have been as galvanizing. It wouldn't have been as, 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 uh, or the team wouldn't have been as, as united as they were throughout the Euro after this Christian Eriksen incident. Another reason as to why I think that Denmark wouldn't have gotten as far as they did is that opposing defenses would have had a reference in Christian Eriksen. They, they, they would have had a reference. And when you look at the games against Belgium, the games against Russia and Wales and um, who did they play in the quarterfinals? Jeez, uh, and and Czech Republic. They there was no reference. Sure, Casper um, Dolberg was playing and Martin Braithwaite and uh, I I cannot remember for the life of me who was playing down the left, but it it wasn't Paulson. Anyway. They didn't have a reference. They didn't have an, an attacking point of reference where Christian Eriksen, we know that the ball has to go through him. The game has to go through him at all times because that's the type of player that he is. And of course, he's better with the ball in his feet. Of course, he is because he can pick out a pass like no one's business. But now, when you have just a bunch of good players and not one great player, well, that will throw off a, a defense just a little bit. But regardless, you got to congratulate Denmark. You have to congratulate Denmark for, for taking this horrific event and turning it into fuel and going all the way to a European semifinal. You can argue that they were robbed. You can argue that, that they were robbed against England. I do think that the goal was going to fall regardless. At, at some point, England was going to score in that extra time. It felt like that. But you cannot take away from what Denmark did in this tournament. That is an example of it's it well, it's it's a life example. It's a life example. It doesn't matter how hard life may get. It doesn't matter how how much adversity you might be facing. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel. You just gotta remain positive. You gotta unite. You gotta be a good leader. You gotta tell your people it's okay. We're gonna be fine. And that's why Denmark thrived in this Euro. All right, let's talk about Spain now. Let's talk about Spain really quick. And I did ask the question at the beginning of this pod. I talked, or I asked rather, how do we feel about Spain now? And that's a question that I asked myself as soon as the semifinals were were over. I was very iffy about Spain at the beginning of this tournament. Chris will will attest to that, and of course, there's recordings that say that I was iffy about Spain. I was iffy about Spain up until the second game in the group stage. I was questioning Luis Enrique. I was I was genuinely concerned that Luis Enrique was not going to keep his job after this Euro. And now, I think he got renewed, or he's going to get renewed. He's going to get a renewal. He will for for sure. For sure, he's going to, to be managing in Qatar 2022, should Spain advance. But I had serious questions about Luis Enrique. 
And it was mainly because nothing that this Spanish team did sparked any confidence. There was, there was no confidence in this Spanish team whatsoever. And the biggest reason why I felt no confidence in this Spanish team was that they couldn't finish to save their lives. They could not finish the opportunities that they were generating. And to be fair, they were generating quite a lot of opportunities. Pedri, Koke out on the wings, they were doing, uh, or the players that were out on the wings, it was either Olmo or Ferran Torres, whoever it was, they were generating a lot of options. But Alvaro Morata was not finishing those, those opportunities. And then finally they exploded. They exploded against Slovakia, which... When you face a team like that, of course, you have to face whoever's on the agenda. You're not going to pick and choose. You face whoever's on the agenda. But when you face a team like that, you absolutely have to ball out. And that is something that I said about England when they played Ukraine in the quarterfinals. And that's what happened between, uh, that's what happened when Spain faced Slovakia. They balled out. They scored five. Sure, a couple were own goals. But it doesn't matter. They got confidence. They got some sort of confidence. And I remember Morata missed a penalty in that game. Morata missed a penalty. And they came back. The Spanish team came back. So not only did they show that they can score goals again, they showed resilience. They showed toughness. And they showed it again against Croatia. In that round of 16 game, that might be the best game of the tournament. I think Italy-Spain was a little bit... A little bit better and less chaotic, but if you like the chaos, the the poorly organized defenses, the poor marking, and a lot of goals, Spain and Croatia is probably the game for you. I'll let you pick and choose whichever one you consider your favorite. That's not up for, for debate right now. We might debate it some other time. But this Spanish team showed a whole lot of resilience because, again, they were down. Or not again. They they were down. They were down one nothing with a absolute blunder between Pedri and Unai Simon. Pedri could do no wrong up until then, and now after that he can do no wrong again. He had a very 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 good tournament, a really really good tournament. This eighteen year old kid. We can talk about him some other time. But they were down one nothing. Then Spain came back, and they were up three one. They were up 3-1, and then Luis Enrique began to, to move his pieces a little bit, and he brought in Pau Torres. And Pau Torres simply didn't respond. Croatia tied, and they went to extra time. And Croatia had an opportunity to win the game in extra time, to score early in the first minutes of extra time. And Unai Simon responded, resilience. And Morata responded. He scored. Oyar Sabal responded. He scored. Players who you don't expect to score. Obviously, Morata, you you expect them to score, but you expect them to have what whatever whatever Morata does. But from guys like Oyar Sabal, Dani Olmo, Coque, uh, Ferran Torres, even Cesar Aspilicueta, Pau Torres, Eric Garcia, Eric Laporte, you don't expect them to score. And they were scoring in those games. And that obviously helped this Spanish side. And then we also look at another piece that showed to be incredibly important in these couple of games. It's Sergio Busquets because he carried the entire midfield. 
because he's that player. And just because he's not flashy, just because he's not spectacular, we don't talk about him as much. But Sergio Busquets is never rattled. He's never rattled. He can be pressured by four guys. He'll still pick out a pass. Or at least he'll make the most reasonable decision he can based on the situation and the scenario that he is in. Because that's the type of player that he is. He might not be spectacular, but he's all class. He has a lot of experience. That always helps in these tournaments. And then against Switzerland, again, they had to fight adversity. They went all the way to penalties. And they somehow, after missing some penalties, they somehow still managed to make it to the semifinal. And against Italy. My goodness. This, this Spanish team played their best game against Italy. They were cutting off every single passing lane. They nullified Marco Berratti in the semifinal. They, they suffocated the Italians with high pressing. Which felt a lot like old Barcelona. Old Spain. They were throwing off Leonardo Bonucci and Giorgio Chiellini with those false nine movements. It was Sometimes it was Ferran Torres. Sometimes, sometimes it was Oyarzabal. Sometimes it was Dani Olmo coming in through the middle. There was no real reference. And they threw off the veterans. And Dani Olmo had a ridiculously good game. So it is unfair that, that he missed the penalty. But in sports and in life, nothing is fair. But this Spanish team played so good against Italy. Even after the goal. And, and some of the substitutions. He, uh, Luis Enrique brought in Alvaro Morata. And Morata responded. Because that's the game for him. He has speed. He has incredibly good movement. He's a very clever player. And he combined all of that with good finishing. Took it all the way to penalties. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. And then of course we know what happened with him. He missed. He missed the penalty. And the rest is history. Italy is through. But this Spanish team. You got to feel much more positive about them. So much more positive about this Spanish team. Because they showed a different face. Again, they showed resilience. Something that I didn't think that they had in them. They, they had that, as they call it in Spanish. They had that furia. They had the fury. They did it again. They showed it again. Because before, when they were called La Furia Roja, the Red Fury, it was more like, we're just blood and guts and whatever. We're, we might not play pretty, but we'll try our hardest. Now it was like, we're not so, well, before when they were winning the, those big titles, when they were winning Euros and World Cups, it wasn't so much blood and guts. It was more, we're going to play really good. We're going to be very technical. We're going we're gonna to make you dizzy with the amount of times that we're going to pass the ball. But they combined it in this Euro. They combined it. And that sort of speaks about Luis Enrique's personality and his style of managing, which... It's not necessarily a total football from Johan Cruyff, but it does have a lot of it. And it's not necessarily a Furia Roja from, from the past, from the 2002 World Cup or the 2006 World Cup, but it does have a little bit of it. And he mixed it well. And I'm glad he mixed it well, because whenever Spain is doing good, it's fun. Spain has a lot of very, very fun players. And for example, the wingers and the midfielders are not an issue for, for Spain. They're not an issue. It's not an issue. We, we all know this. The wingers and the midfielders are class. 
But when you start looking at at the back line, sure, Imeric Laporte, yeah, he's a good player. He can ball. Eddie Garcia, very good player too. But dude, you can't be skinny and slow. You got to either be fast or you got to be strong. Incredible passer of the ball. But you got to be either strong or fast. If you can be both, be both. I don't know how that's very possible. But if you can, give it a shot. So I do think that Eddie Garcia is a bit of a weak point. But then you look at the bench and Pau Torres is no better. Or at least this Euro didn't show much. He's he's really... He's not that much better than Eddie Garcia. And that's why Eddie Garcia started against Croatia. And he started against Italy. And I think he did it very well. He, he did a very, very good job. But they need a Carlos Puyol. They need a Gerard Pique. And I can't believe I'm saying that. They, they need a Gerard Pique in his prime. That's or, or a Sergio Ramos. Something. They need something like that. Someone that can... Someone that isn't necessarily as technical, but isn't afraid to get their hands dirty. That's what they need. And then up top. Somewhere in the youth systems of Spain, I'm sure the next David Villa, the next Fernando Torres, the next Raul Gonzalez is is waiting for his opportunity. And once that new generation of striker gets an opportunity, Spain can feel relieved because they won't necessarily have to rely on... Alvaro Morata, which has been a huge, huge, huge weak point for the Spanish side ever since 2016. But overall, just to recap everything that I've said, overall, the Spanish team has looked so much better from two weeks ago to now. They've looked a lot better. And I do think that if they qualify to Qatar, which I think it's very, very, very likely, they're going to compete. They're going to compete hard. I don't know if they're ready for a World Cup uh, championship just just yet. But I do think that they're going to compete as hard as they did here in this Euro. And whoever is drawn into their group is going to suffer a lot. Because if they can make it click, again, if they can make it click, like they did in these last couple of games of of the Euros, it's going to be tough for anyone that faces Spain. It's a much more positive feeling about this Spanish side today than a month ago. And I will take a quick break. When we return, when I return, I will talk about the Euro 2020 final. The players to watch, keys, the storylines, the keys to victory, and a prediction. Spoiler, I don't have a prediction just yet. Hopefully when I reset the camera, I come up with some sort of of prediction. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. And we are back. Thank you all so much for tuning in, for joining this preview show of the Euro 2020 final. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Total Food Club. That Total Food Club that is going to be on the screen and in the description of the YouTube videos of the podcast. Everywhere, everywhere it is available. All right. Euro 2020 final. In my opinion, I feel like the the two best teams made it. Saying it out loud, I don't sound as convinced. And saying it out loud made me realize that I'm not as convinced. Italy, yes. Worthy. Absolutely worthy. 
England, on the other hand, I don't know. I don't know if they're worthy. Yeah, they only conceded one goal in the entire tournament so far. But I look at the performance against Scotland. I look at the performance against Croatia and Czech Republic. And I'm like, oh, God, really? This team made it all the way to the final? They are going to suck all the fun out of this last game of Euro 2020. But anyway, if if it was up to me, we would just combine everything and we'd play Italy against Brazil to for, for the world championship or something like that. Maybe Maybe it's good that it's not up to me. Anyway, let's talk about the players to watch for Italy. My player to watch for Italy is Marco Verratti. He is defensively astute. He is unafraid to carry the ball. He can draw a foul. He can pick out a pass. He's tiny. He's small. We know this. But there's a real presence to him. And I don't know what it is about shorter people, but they just have a certain presence. And Marco Verratti definitely has that presence on the pitch and specifically in that midfield. With that being said, he was nullified by the, by the Spanish team, by the Spanish midfield in that semifinal game. And, and we talked about it. We, we know how suffocating the pressing was from Spain. And Marco Berratti was pretty much a non-factor against, against Spain. Now, can England nullify Marco Berratti? Can they nullify him with Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips? That's the real question. If you just look at the talent, of course, it's it, it's no competition. Of course, Sergio Busquets and Kogi are going to be able to do those things because they're world-class. I don't necessarily know if Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips are world-class midfielders. They're very good midfielders. Obviously, there's a reason why they're in the English national team. But I don't know if they're necessarily world-class. So my guess is no. I don't think they're going to be able to nullify Marco Berratti. And Marco Berratti is going to have a much, much, much better game in the final than he did in the semifinal. And let's let's keep this in mind. If Marco Berratti can open up this English defense, which, to be fair, hasn't been able or hasn't been opened up much in this tournament, and he can pick out a Chiesa, an Insigne, an Immobile, or even an Emerson, if he has the courage to make an overlap, be careful, because England might be in serious trouble. Serious, serious trouble. It all starts with number six, Marco Berratti. And my player to watch for England, this is probably going to raise a few eyebrows. My player to watch is Jordan Pickford. Yes, I am picking the goalkeeper. He is a man that can easily be forced into a mistake, and we saw that against Denmark. The amount of 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 errors that he committed when he was trying to play from the back was incredible. Which leads me to ask this question. What Jordan Pickford are we going to see in the final? Are we going to see the cool and collected one who makes the right decisions, makes the saves? Or will we see the one that blunders every pass that he executes? And I, I, I heard this on Ranks FC, so I'm not going to take credit for this. On Ranks FC, they said, is all of this Jordan Pickford mess just building up to something huge for the final? Based on, I don't, I don't know. Um, 
based on his his career trajectory, it does kind of feel like that. Based on the history, it does feel like it's just building to something bigger. It's building to a to a massive mistake that could potentially cost England the European Championship. Because let's be honest, the the game that he played against Denmark was absolutely atrocious. He had a lot to do with the goal as well. He got his hand to it and he wasn't able to parry it out. So that's one mistake right there. And then the amount of passes that he missed, incredible. Just just incredible. One thing is to give up the ball to Hoiberg or to Thomas Delaney or or even to like Martin Braithwaite with all due respect to all of them. And another is to give it up to Nicolo Varela, to, to Federico Chiesa, to Lorenzo Insigne, to Marco Berratti. It, it's very different, especially at the level that these guys are playing it, are, are playing at. And it really does feel like a ticking time bomb for Jordan Pickford. And I, I'm not necessarily the biggest Jordan Pickford fan, but I don't, I don't know. I just feel like this game is probably going to be decided by a mistake that he makes. And that, yeah, I might not be his biggest fan, but of course that sucks. You don't want to decide a final with a with a goalkeeper mistake. That that's not necessarily what what we want to see. Um, now, of course, I could look very stupid <laughs> once the game is being played and he makes zero mistakes, which is very possible that that he plays a pretty flawless game. But will he play a flawless game? Is it in him to play a flawless game in a European Championship final? We'll just have to wait and see for Sunday. All right. The storylines. For Italy, Leonardo Spinazzola's injury. What a tournament Spinazzola was having. Oh my goodness. What a player. And let me just get something out of the way immediately. Emerson is good, but he's not Leonardo Spinazzola. Obviously. Obviously. So that's why I had to get it out of the way. And as soon as Leonardo Spinazzola was hurt, Italy lost a lot of pace. They lost an attacking threat. They lost overlaps. They lost numerical advantages. And they lost fearless defending, at least on on that flank. But the real question to me here is, Will Emerson be settled into his role by Sunday? He didn't look very settled against Spain. He he did what he had to do. But he wasn't overly spectacular. And I guess Leonardo Spinazzola really spoiled us with those ridiculously good performances that he had throughout the tournament. So now we see a guy in his position, or someone else in his position, and we think, oh... Well, he's just going to do exactly what Spinazzola has been doing all tournament. Wrong. Very wrong. So, that's the real question. After Spinazzola's injury, and after playing 90 minutes or more, or no, actually he was subbed off. After playing a game, is Emerson going to be settled? Or is even or is Roberto Mancini even going to trust him to play? There might be a modification somewhere in there. I, I don't think so. And I wouldn't necessarily like it because if the 4-3-3 with a, with a true left back worked for you throughout the tournament, don't abandon it in the final. Stick to it. And surely Emerson is, is, is he's going to play, but 
I hope that he's settled. I hope that he's settled into his role, and I hope that he has a much better game than he did against Spain. For England, the storyline, it's coming home. 55 years after their World Cup win, England is back in a major tournament final. This final, as you all know, is going to be played at Wembley Stadium. Oh, surprise. Now, my question here is, is this a positive or is this just immense pressure for England? A big part of me thinks that this team thrives from this energy that the fans provide. It feels like it. They, they, they definitely thrive off of those crazy Brits cheering and, and, and singing and, and, and yelling and screaming and going absolutely wild. It looks like they thrive. Because, to be honest, this is a group of winners. You have so many Premier League winners, so many Champions League winners in here. And looking around and seeing 70,000 people absolutely roaring at Wembley might be somewhat minuscule. But, we also have to say this, this is the first time that any of these players are playing in a European Championship final. So, the pressure might be different, and I, obviously, I never played professionally, but I do think that when you play for your national team, the pressure is different. It's a little higher, because the stakes are a little higher. So, I don't know. I I, I do think, though, that, that these English players thrive from the passion and the energy that the fans bring. All right, let's talk about the keys to victory, where I'm breezing through this. Keys to victory, for me, for Italy, the key to victory is the midfield, Jorginho Verratti Varela. This midfield, my goodness, they were absolutely elite throughout the entire group stage. They have incredible creativity too they have such such creativity that makes them so much fun to watch they're so much fun to watch and again you go back 10 years and you're like yeah i don't think italy's ever gonna be fun to watch you fast forward to now and you're like wow i cannot i i I cannot go on with my day without seeing this italy game they were that much fun so creative so fun you look at Jorginho. And he can cancel out entire midfielder midfields on his own. If he truly wants, of course. He, he plays his role. But he's been bringing that momentum from Chelsea onto the national team. And boy, has it worked. Boy, has that worked. You look at Marco Berratti and what he does. We know what he does. We talked about it already. But what about Nicolo Varela? What a player he is. He has the magic touch. He really does. He has a magic touch. Incredibly quick feet. And he can finish like none other midfielder in, 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 that, in that squad. He scored... That goal that he scored against Belgium? Are you kidding me? What a finish. Quick feet. Beautiful f- finish. And he buried it past Thibaut Courtois. That shows how good his finishing really is. And man, man oh man. When they're clicking... Brace yourselves, because they're a lot of fun to watch. Or if you're playing against them, brace yourself too, because they're probably not that fun to defend. England. This is going to sound incredibly contradictory, 
to what I've been saying throughout the tournament. But I think that England's key to victory is to be pragmatic. You have to be pragmatic. You absolutely have to stick to what worked. If there's ever a time to be pragmatic, pragmatic, that's such a difficult word. It's now. It's on Sunday, England. You have to be pragmatic on Sunday. Because the stakes are as high as they have ever been. Now is when you play with Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips. If you want to put in Jordan Henderson somewhere in there, put him in there. But you have to be pragmatic. You have to take the ball away from the Italians. And you have to make them chase the game. You absolutely have to make them chase the game. You have to be comfortable, calm in possession. Knock the ball around. If the pass is in there, pass it back. If the opportunity is in there, you just keep on looking for it. Don't expose yourself. Only attack when you are truly confident that you have a good look in front of goal. Don't risk it. Don't risk it. Because Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips might not be the fastest players. And you look at the defense, Harry Maguire. If he ever has to defend those big spaces left on counters... That's a massive weak point for this English team. So you have to be pragmatic. You have you well, you just have to do what you've been doing throughout the entire tournament. Pragmatism is the name of the game for England. Prediction. Oh boy. I don't know what to do. I honestly have no idea who's gonna win this game. And I am very conflicted. Because at the beginning of the tournament, you guys know that I picked England to win it. I picked England to win it, but I wanted them to win this in a different manner. (laughs) Not necessarily the way that they played throughout the entire tournament. Again, my, my key to victory was a little contradictory, but whatever. It's my show. I say what I want. I picked England at the beginning of the tournament, but then I saw Italy against Turkey, and I saw something incredibly special. Then I saw them against Switzerland, and I'm like, okay, this isn't lucky. Then I saw them against Wales, and I'm like, oh my god, there's a serious contender. I saw them struggle against Austria and win the game, and I'm like, okay, okay, we should believe a little more, even more. Then I see them beat Belgium and hold on to beat Belgium, the number one ranked team for FIFA, and I'm like, okay, they're the favorites. They're the favorites. They're not just a serious contender. They are the favorites to win this tournament, and the odds... Back me up. I don't know what to do. I honestly have no idea what to do. I don't know if I'm going to go with my initial pick. The pick that I made about a month ago. Or if I'm going to go with the Italians. The team that made me fall in love throughout the tournament. I don't know who to pick. I, I guess it really just comes down to what I think is more likely in my keys to victory. And... Something that I failed to mention now, but was mentioned to me by one of my good friends, shout out to Ronaldo. He said that England's size is probably going to give the Italians a lot of problems. Because they're big players, they're tall players, and on set pieces, that's huge. The Italians are very short. They're 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 tiny. And I hope there's no mismatches whenever when whenever you have to mark on a corner. Because if that's the case, then Harry Maguire is just gonna—he's gonna walk the ball into the net, really. 
Not necessarily. Gianluigi Donnarumma is going to have something to say about that, but you guys get the point. I, 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 I look at the keys to victory, and I think that the pragmatism from England is more likely than Italy having a a ridiculously good game from their midfield. I'm picking England. I'm picking England to win this game. I'm 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 picking England. I think that what they have showed throughout the tournament has been more like this whereas Italy was a lot like this, then they went like this, then they went up like this, and then Spinazzola got hurt and then they fell and then they ultimately got a little bit up, but there was a huge dip somewhere in there whereas England was more like this and if you're just listening to this i'm sorry but i was like trying to make a wave here what i'm basically trying to say is that england has been more consistent with what they've been playing or 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 with with what they've been showing italy they had a dip towards these last couple of games that has to be has to be addressed that's why i am picking england to win this game and i picked brazil to win the copa america uh so it looks like the home teams are going to to win these tournaments. Oh my goodness! Um, wow, uh, I I I picked England, and I literally just made this up. I I wish I could show you guys my notes, but it's the light's gonna reflect on the camera and uh, sorry on on the screen of my laptop, and you guys won't be able to see anything. But I wrote prediction, and it's blank. <laughs> it's blank. It's been blank since yesterday because yesterday I, I I wrote the the rundown and I I had all my notes ready but I did I couldn't come up with a prediction I simply couldn't but I guess when I said everything out loud it made more sense and I do think again just to recap England's pragmatism and and their style of play or the way that they're going to play this game looks to me more likely to put them over the edge rather than Italy and and depending on those three players in the midfield to have a very very good game that will ultimately take them to the European title. With that being said, I don't think England is a heavy favorite. I honestly think it's 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 more of like a pick'em. It's it's a very 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 even game, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if Italy wins. My heart says Italy, hence why I'm wearing this Juve jersey. Uh, but my head says England, and my ego says England too, because that's what I said a month ago, and I don't want to be wrong. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I have something else really quick. Uh, There we go. The Euro 2020 final ball. There we go. It says London somewhere here, and it has a winner. It has an owner now. The owner is Nick Chavez. My guy, Nick Chavez. Shout out to him. I met him in Vegas. Cool dude. The... Such a down-to-earth, humble, and and cool guy. So this ball is going to go his way in a few days. I hope you enjoy it if you want to put it in a, in like a glass box or if you want to play with it, whatever the case may be, dude. This is a very, very nice ball, and that is going to you. And this is what's going to be used on Sunday. This is the replica ball. Um, they're going to be using the official one, but that's a different story. Um, so, yeah. All right, uh, just a little bit of um, 
a little bit of, of, of news really quick before we finish this this episode, this huge preview. Um, so we are going to have a final and, and well, a Euro 2020 tournament and Euro 2020 final recap on Tuesday. And then from that Tuesday, we will be gone for the next two weeks. So you won't see an episode later on that week. You won't see an episode the following week. We will be back the 20 something. Uh, I have to check my calendar. Uh, we yeah, we are going to, to disappear for a few weeks it's for our own good. It's for our own mental health. Uh, we will be back the 27th. July 27th, we will be back. We will be talking about transfers. We will be talking about about the, the new seasons coming up. We're going to be talking probably some MLS. We're going to talk a lot, a lot of stuff. But July 27th is when we will come back. Um, our, our last episode is going to be on on Tuesday. Tuesday is the 13th, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, uh, we will be taking a break, just so you guys know. Uh, it's, it's, it's very needed. It's very needed. I'm, I'm tired. Um, I'm, I'm not tired of doing this. I'm, I'm just exhausted because the amount of content that has been coming out. It's been a podcast pretty much every three days. I recorded one yesterday. I'm recording one now. Today's Friday night. You guys might be wondering, wow, why are you recording a podcast on a Friday night? Because that's what it takes. If you want to start a podcast and you're listening to this right now, yes, you're probably going to have to record episodes on Friday night. You're probably going to have to stay home to edit on, on, on Saturdays or on Fridays. That's what it takes. When you want to make it, you will do whatever it takes to actually see this through. That'll do it for me, ladies and gentlemen. I, I am very sad that Chris couldn't make it, but he will be back. He will be back for next week to recap the the Euro 2020 as a tournament and, of course, the final. That's it from us. That's it from me. Thank you so much. Enjoy the game. May the best team win. Let me know who you think is going to win this game in, in either the comments or message us. Who do you think is going to win, Italy or England? Who do you think is going to win the Copa America, Brazil or Argentina? Let us know. We want to start conversations because these big tournaments are, are coming to an end. And what a weekend we have. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Take care. Enjoy the games. Goodbye. <laughs>